to discuss a little bit this evening from the Bhagavat Sandarbha of Jiva Goswami. And we're going to talk about empowered personalities this evening from this Anucheta, meaning that if the Lord so desires, he can empower a living entity to act in his capacity. And those empowerments are called uh, Avesh avatars. Avesh means having the power, and avatar means the powers descending. So throughout history, there are many personalities that have been empowered by the Supreme under different circumstances to do his bidding in different ways. And one could naturally say, well, why doesn't he just come and do it himself? Well, how much glorious it is for him to allow somebody to do it on his behalf also. So Srila Rupa Goswami, he says the following in the Lagu Bhagavatamrita, the small Bhagavatamrita, as opposed to the Brihat Bhagavatamrita, which was done by his brother Rupa Goswami, which is the big Bhagavatamrita, which is an explanation of the Bhagavatam, the Bhagavatam. So, when Sri Krishna pervades a living being with a portion of his opulence, such as energy or knowledge, such a great soul is called an Avesh. There are two categories, Jiva goes on to say, two categories of Avesh avatars, people to whom these powers come down. They are inspired in two different ways. Bhagavad, Avesh avatar, pervasive, pervasion as the Lord directly. They feel themselves as being the Supreme Lord. And Bhagavad Shakti, Avesh avatar, pervasion as an upholder of one of the Lord's potencies. You can see kind of, when you look at uh, Christianity, you have Lord Jesus, who's definitely empowered 2,000 years after he's gone. People were still talking about him. People were still worshiping him. People were still, books, Bibles have been written in, that contain his, you know, his directions for the upliftment of humanity. And if you look at what he said as relayed in the Bible, if it's come down through history accurately, he refers to himself as both of these kind of avatars, does he not? I'm the son of the father, and he also at certain times attributes himself with the full potency of God. I don't know the quotes well enough. My father and I are one. Yeah. So, both of these, the Bhagavad Avesh Avatar and the Bhagavad Sakti Avesh Avatar, he puts himself a little bit as, as both. After my spiritual master, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, did his worldwide, established worldwide preaching, one of his godbrothers, who's very respected and very knowledgeable, he saw even our spiritual master as Bhakti 
Sridhar Dev Goswami said, Srila Prabhupada, Bhaktivedanta Swami, had to have been empowered to have accomplished as much as he did in as short a time as he did. He was attributed by uh, Sridhar Swami as being empowered with the energy, the preaching energy of uh, Nichananda. So he was considered Nichananda Avesh. And in reading and studying this Anacheta, the a period in my Krishna consciousness came to mind because what's going to come out here is these Avesh avatars, in order to to be empowered by God, that empowerment in and of itself, like you said, of the Shakti of, of the Supreme, the body can only accommodate that if it's a spiritual body. So in this Anacheta, Jiva Goswami makes a point, makes the point by analysis of Lord Rishavadev, he makes the point that both of these Avesh avatars have spiritual bodies. So if we look at the distinction, let me read how it's worded here. The first type of pervasion includes the living being, induces, I'm sorry, the first kind of pervasion, meaning the first kind of pervasion of the energy of the Supreme into a jiva, a regular one of us, so to speak. It reminds me of the song, What if God was one of us? Well, maybe God, maybe he, maybe God will want you to be one of Him. Is basically what's happening here. It's a reversal, but you can understand God can empower whoever He wants. He's God. The great sages have looked at these empowerments, and they've said there's two categories of empowerment. The first type of per, pervasion induces the living being, which induce us, induces us, if we were to be so empowered to identify himself directly as God. They, they, they completely associate with the Godhead. And they are empowered to act on his behalf. They have his, their uh, what do you, power of attorney. You know, they can, they can walk on water. They can heal. I mean, they can do wonderful things. They can't do all the wonderful things that God does, but... Some of them can lead humanity as a, as a great king. Some can be a big great preacher. The, the, per, the pervasion of the shakti, the power, the energy of God comes into them and they identify themselves directly as the Lord. The second type of pervasion induces the living being to identify himself as a devotee as an upholder of the Lord's potency. Shri Rishabdev is an example of Bhagavad Aveshavatar, as he himself says. And then Jiva Goswami quotes from the Bhagavatam. He says, Rishabdev says, Therefore, unless one has love for me, so he's speaking as if he's God, and he is because the Lord has empowered him, uh, Shri Vyasadev, he is certainly not delivered from the bondage of material, of this material body. So this is a, a verse from the Bhagavatam in the fifth canto. And then Jiva Goswami goes on to say, and just for your 
understanding of the other kind of Saktavish avatar, examples of Bhagavat Shakti Avesh avatar, Bhagavat Vat Shakti, are Sri Narada Muni and the four Kumaras. All Avesh avatars are living beings. Shavdev was a great king, and if you remember from the Srimad Bhagavatam, he had uh, he was the son of King Nabi and Meru Devi, and he had a hundred sons. That was at a different time of man where that was not a problem. We're lucky if we live for a hundred years in one body. But there's prior ages of man, according to our scriptures, which speak of ages that last a thousand years, ten thousand years, and a hundred thousand years in our current, as compared to our current years. A hundred sons in a hundred thousand years would not be a problem for a king. This is what this is what we we accept the Veda for what the Veda puts forth, and he one of those hundred sons was Bharat Maharaj. And this planet in Vedic times was referred to the whole planet was referred to Bharat Varsha, the whole the Varsha the the, the planet of of Bharat Maharaj, and when. When I came across this, the thought came to mind because we sometimes don't emphasize it enough that if we accept what we what is put forth as the Vedas and we look to that the revelations and the experience of those sages who have taken the time to write down their revelations for us or to to interpret the, the Vedic uh, Shruti, the actual four Vedas, it's apparent that at one time the whole planet Earth was under one jurisdiction, under one rulership. There was one king for the whole... Well, there were many kings, but there was one primary. Uh, so that's what's being spoken of here. Bharat Maharaj... He was such a great king and such a powerful leader that all the other kings paid homage to him and took direction from him. Rishavdev, Rishavdev's son, is Bharat Maharaj, uh, who was also a great king. Also of those hundred sons of Rishavdev, uh, we have nine brothers who were all Paramahansas, brothers of Re- uh, Bharat Maharaj, and they're referred to as the Navayogendras. So you have the nine brothers, the Navayogendras, Bharat Maharaj, and then you have the other 90 sons or so. I mean, as, again, looking to it in the, in the perspective of time and the ages of man, it's at least we know we had the hundred because those are spoken of. So before, at the end of his life, he was king and he finally realized, I've raised my children and they're now competent to take over. Now this, to somebody who's of a character like 
uh, Rishav Dave, it's a great boon. It's a great boon to be able to walk away from all the entanglements of running the planet, basically, and give over the kingship to a responsible son. Before he left, he talked to his sons and he gave instructions. And those are ins- instructions are what are relayed in the Srimad Bhagavatam for our benefit because they're applicable to all of us because they're coming from a Bhagavad, a Vesh avatar who is completely empowered by the Lord. So now we go to a couple of the verses. And he's talking about himself. And he says to his sons, This body is an inconceivable reality. Religion, Dharma, is situated in my heart, and irreligion behind my back. Therefore, those highly cultured wisdom teachings call me Rishab, the most exalted. Jiva Goswami goes on to look at this statement by Rishab Dave. He says, Rishab Dave is saying, this human-like body is my, of mine is certainly the very reality, tatvam, which is inconceivable, dorvi bhavya, meaning that it is beyond the conventional reasoning faculty. Wherever there is dharma, characterized by pure devotion to the complete reality, Bhagavan, the Lord, that is where my heart dwells, or in other words, where my mind resides. This is because I keep everything that is contrary to dharma or or irreligion behind my back. In other words, I am ill-disposed towards irreligion. Before Rishav Dave left, he saw in Bharat Maharaj such good qualities that he told all the other sons, you follow Bharat Maharaj. He's, he's, he's the most exalted of all of you. And again, remember, this is a different time of man, so that would have been taken as a great, let's follow, not, oh my gosh, that means I'm not going to be the best king or I'm not the best. Yeah, that... that those kind of sentiments weren't there. People were, their character was, was much, much higher character. Truthfulness, austerity, cleanliness, mercy were part of their culture. Truthfulness, complete truthfulness, austerity, cleanliness, mercy. Cleanliness inside and out. Mercy, meaning truly merciful towards everyone. Looking out, treating everyone as as good as yourself, as the same as yourself, as your very self. Imagine having that kind of a consciousness. But this is what the scripture tells us of those times of man. And something to aspire to, but not to separately endeavor for. That may be a little confusing. Why don't we need to endeavor to be clean, truthful, austere and merciful. We need to strive to be Krishna's devotee, the Lord's devotee. If we strive to be a devotee, cleanliness, austerity, 
truthfulness and mercy follow. They're like maidservants. They come to serve us naturally. So we don't... Of course, we're, it's not that we neglect being truthful or clean, but we don't endeavor for those independent of the turning of consciousness towards the Supreme. There's a lot of truthful people in the world. There's a lot of clean people in the world. You know, There's a lot of people that of yogis that do all kinds of austerities we couldn't even imagine. But none of those things, independent of a turning of consciousness towards the Supreme Lord, make the, give them any value. They may become popular in the world of man as being truthful or austere or clean or merciful, but if you're a devotee, that's the most famous. The devotees are most famous, and they have all these qualities naturally, without separate endeavor. Now, Jiva Goswami does something very amazing. Therefore, the concluding pastimes of Lord Rishabdev, the speaker of this verse, is actually his disappearance. So he's telling us he, just not, he didn't die when he, wrapped him, when he wrapped up his material manifestation. Although it is described in a way that accords with the experience of ordinary human beings. Although if you were to hear how he left, you would say, well, he died like anybody else. Jiva says, no, let's look at what the, what's said in regards to his death by people who, not death, his disappearance by people who really know. And let's look at what they said and let's look deeply into the exact words that they used. And something very interesting will come out if we, if we take this exercise to heart. The story is depicted in this way specifically to illustrate the behavior of the Atmaramas. So Rishav Davis conducted his life and he's conducting his end of life in order to to give an example to the great thinkers of the world. Isn't that what we would want from an incarnation of God to conduct himself in such a way that mankind would want to follow him? Krishna speaks so much, doesn't he, in the Bhagavad Gita? Yada, yada, hi, dharmasya, glanir, bhavati, bharata, I invent in order to uphold religion. He also says there in the Bhagavad Gita, whatever great men do, common men follow them. So Rishabdev is is acting at the end of life in such a way that Atmaramas can follow his example. Or the well self-situated sage, sages or Atmaramas. Atmarama means somebody that's looking to their self. They're not interested in the world of man. They're looking, interested to, to, to be absorbed in the essence of their being. This is stated as follows. He adopted, this is the actual verse of the Bhagavatam, he adopted this behavior just to teach yogis how to give up their bodies. In this sense, giving up the body, kalevara, body, here refers to the material world. So Jiva is saying, Although in the verse we see giving up the body, the word is there, kaleva, kalevara, it's referring to, it can also mean giving up the material body. Yes, again, Sanskrit words can have many meanings. 
So Jiva's saying in this context, if we look to the context of what's being presented, the word means material world. So put on your attention hats and we'll walk through this because it is very, it's, it's enlivening the way Jiva brings it out. So I'm going to read directly from his Anucheta. Similarly, in a subsequent text, this is in the Bhagavatam, we find the following statement, the blazing forest fire, this is speaking of his end of life, he was in a forest fire, the blazing forest fire generated by bamboo shoots rubbing against each other amid strong winds engulfed and burned the forest along with him. So that's what the verse says that their bamboo rubbed together and rubbing of the sticks together started a fire and burned the whole forest along with him. Mm. The real meaning, Jiva goes on to say, of this description can be understood by taking the instrumental case in the phrase Tena Saha, along with him. So he's looking at the, at the actual Sanskrit of the verse. Tena Saha is there along with him, as having the sense of assisting the agent, which would yield the following. So now he's going to restate the verse the way it should be read if we take the other meaning of the Sanskrit in the sloka, or in the the poetry of the verse, which would yield the following. The fire along with him, the fire, comma, along with him, burned the forest, meaning that he assisted the fire in doing so. This is how he comes to this. This is appropriate here, since by the rule that the primary agent takes precedence over the secondary agent, gunya mukya naya, a type of logic applied in the study of Sanskrit slokas or verses. So, the primary agent takes precedent. The primary agent in this case, the fire, is to be considered first. Now remember, Jiva Goswami is one of the greatest logicians, some people say, of all time. So when he looks to this little bit of prose in the Bhagavatam and analyzes it, he's using a, a, a great mind to do so. As such, the meaning is that the forest fire burnt the gross bodies of the trees and other living beings existing in the forest. But Sri Rishavdev burnt their subtle bodies. In this way, one should take note of his ability to liberate them all. This event is similar to Lord Ram's disappearance. Why all this explanation? Why, why, why does it matter? It matters in a couple ways. The first way it matters in that we can it matters in that even if you take a simple prose verse from the Bhagavatam and you read it through trans, standard translation from Sanskrit into English. Of course, Jiva Goswami was just writing in Sanskrit, but 
the point being, it's not a matter of translation, it's a matter of proper interpretation, proper presentation of what's being said. What's these word, what do these words really mean? First of all, in the context of the story being told, and in the context of the verse as it's being presented. Now, there are many Sanskrit scholars, both who are devotees of the Lord and who are not devotees of the Lord. And so it's not really a matter of knowing Sanskrit. It's a matter of having good guidance when we approach the Scripture. And eventually, learning, as Jiva's teaching us in the Sandarbhas, how these different verses can be interpreted and properly understood in the context of, what do we call it? It's the devotional approach. Our approach to the Bhagavatam, our approach to the Veda, our approach is based on, on the approach of our school of thought. And we think, and we, we have a lot of evidence to support our thinking, that our approach to the Shastra is the right approach. Why do, what, how do we refer to Shastra? We, we, we look to the scriptures as Bhakti Shastra. We take the Bhakti approach. How can this scripture tell me how to love God? I want to love God. I want to have bhakti for God. Any other way of looking at this, this scripture is of no interest to us. We don't want to look to the scripture to hear that Rishavdev, who is a great king, went out to the forest and burned his body to show yogis how to, how to leave this world. No. <coughs> we want to know what is this life? What does this whole, why was this placed in the Bhagavatam, which is the premier Bhakti Shastra of our tradition, and what do we need to take away for our spiritual upliftment from such a pastime? That's what is brought forth in the last little bit of discussion here, is the body of the Saktavish avatars, both those that consider themselves to be the supreme and those that are empowered to accomplish something on the Supreme's behalf, that we refer to as a Vesh. They've been empowered with power over and above what we have as a normal Jiva. And we have power too. I mean, look, there's powerful people in the world. You don't become a Hitler unless you've got some power. You don't become a, a Stalin or a, you know... An Abraham Lincoln or the founders of a country or a Gandhi, you need to have power. But not all, all of that power. There's power, the powers of man and then there's all the, also the powers of the Lord. So sometimes if you're doing his bidding, he'll add a little of his power with your power and you can accomplish a lot. That's called Saktavish Avatar. And he may give you so much of his power that you yourself feel yourself to be the Lord. And the last of this Anacheta Bring, comes to the point that their bodies are actually spiritual. Both of them have completely spiritual bodies. 
they've they've gone beyond the gunas or the entanglements of material life. But that's there for the devotee too. I'll quit with a little something from the when I first came to the movement, which this is for Sumati. When we first came, at that point in time, there was a controversy, and the controversy was that Srila Prabhupada was actually God. To read this, when I read this commentary on this particular Anucheda, he could have been the other kind of, he could have been the other kind of Avesh. Krishna could have given, give, given him that energy where he didn't conceive of himself as a devotee, but he did. So he was given a specific energy of the Lord where he conceived himself as a devotee, not the Lord. So those devotees were not that far off as far as the empowerment of God. They just didn't understand the details that there's two kinds of empowerment at that early stage in their spiritual life. They were run out of the movement by Prabhupada personally, don't you ever call me God. Because he didn't want misconceptions in his movement. I'm not God. I'm not like one of those yogis from India who comes and tells people they're God and takes your money and goes away. I'm a devotee of God. I want to teach you how to be a devotee like I'm a devotee. So he was furious when these devotees who said, this man has to be God. Look at the way he walks and talks and acts. He was so regal and everything about him. We've been with him for a year or two. Well, by that time, it was five years. Some of them had been with him for five years, which is, yeah. And they actually thought, this man is God. And they started to talk amongst the other devotees. Prabhupada's God. Prabhupada heard it. He was infuriated. You guys are out of here. I, you haven't learned anything from me. And I don't need this kind of talk amongst people who are putting themselves forward as older and more mature devotees because they'd taken the renounced order. They'd actually taken the sannyas order. After they thought about what they'd done, had some time to reflect, they came back and, and requested forgiveness and resumed their service. Any questions? What do I have any questions? Um, about the translation from Sanskrit to other languages, mm-hmm. who, who were the people that did this? And how do you not know that there's anything lost in translation? You don't. You don't know. That's why we have a three-pronged verification for our spiritual practice. Guru, sadhu, shastra. We need someone to give us the instructions according to our time, place, and circumstance. To know Who knows where we're at and knows this time of man and knows this the circumstance that's the guru he teaches us specifically according to our time our place our circumstance that's one of the three prongs the second prong is the sadhus guru sadhu and shastra so you understand shastra it's the transcendental it's the it's the holy books 
It's the holy narrations. So we understand Shastra, and your question is, is very appropriate because you say, well, how do I know that the translations are correct? The way you know is your guru will tell you those are good translations. That helps. You can read those and don't read those. those that's, that's done by the bhakti group. That's done by the people that have no interest in God. You probably should stay away with those from those until you have some real some real qualifications which will come in time. You'll under be able to your your discernment will, will be enhanced as you advance spiritually. And we know the translations are good when the translation corresponds with all the other translations of the sadhus who that who have proven themselves to be great bhaktas, great devotees. So we can we can navigate the minefield, so to speak, of bad translations and bad you know into different languages and bad interpretations of the text themselves in the text's original present language, Sanskrit. We can avoid that if we apply that those principles, guru, sadhu, and shastra. But you also said that there are two meanings for different... If I said just two, then I made a mistake. The Sanskrit is, is, the, is such, such a, a high-grade language. Every word can have many meanings according to how it's placed, how it's used, the context. So... There's many translate. There's many ways a word can be translated, but Sanskrit scholars, they know how to translate it according to the all those laws. It, it's a very it's it's considered the most scientific language on the face of the planet. In fact, there are Western academics, scientists that use Sanskrit just for that very purpose. Other languages on the planet do not serve their purposes of exactitude as well as Sanskrit does. I know it I don't I know I may not have completely answered your question, but Well then English has been muddled. Oh yeah. Down to nothing. And so has and and you look to Sanskrit and you go to India and there's a different a different derivation of it that's developed over the ages and all these it's a very large country so I don't know how many languages are there in India it's like practically every village has their own language that's probably an over exaggeration but there's a lot and they've all derived from the original Sanskrit so you have Sanskrit you have Bengali you have Gujarati you have I don't even oh, know. But then that seems like it's open to trans different It is. That's and why. They take it and they say, okay, well, I'm going to make it this way. That's I'm exactly right. My life this way. That's right. So they that's do. okay? No. It is if you apply the three-pronged thing, guru, sadhu, and shastra. If you, we need, we need someone to help us, and that's the guru. We, we absolutely need to have a guru to help us personally. And according to the tradition that we're attracted to, 
the Lord will provide a guru. Not everybody's attracted to the same concept of the Lord. So we see within the world of man all kinds of different religions. You have Jewish people of Jewish faith, Bahamut, uh, Buddhists, you know, Native Americans. They all have their conception of God. But you notice in all of them there is a system of acceptance of a teacher. So all of them have their... They may not use the word, quote, quote, guru. They may Prophet. use pru, priest. Uh, you may... In a, yeah, so they may use different nomenclatures, but you need a guru. You need to study other other gurus to make sure your guru's okay, who are in your tradition. And so these three things, they'll fall together naturally. Guru, sadhu, and shastra. So if, if the sadhus and the shastra are there, you're going to know the translation of the... Of the I'm sorry, what did I say? If the guru and the sadhu's there, you're going to know that the translation of the shastra that you're studying is is appropriate. Because it falls in line with what other teachers are saying, the sadhu's, and with what your specific teacher is saying. So therefore you say, okay, that's a good translation. My spiritual master, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, when he came to the West, there were already all kinds of translations in English of the Bhagavad Gita. But not one of them at that time, and I, at least that's what he, that's what was said. You know, there might have been people that, there may have been some translations that have some touch of bhakti, but he was a full, he was a full bhakti man, a Vaikuntha man we called him. He only wanted the bhakti, everything in the translation had to be about service to God. And there's a lot of different theology in Bhagavad Gita. So his translation by a devotee, there were all kinds of translations, but none of them done by a devotee of his caliber before he came. None of them. So that's unique. And so we're going to find that, those three things. Is it in... The Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita. You have a good translation of the Gita by a good guru. The Bhagavad Gita is the Shastra. The guru will come in time. The guru will explain the Shastra. In the Bhagavad Gita I gave you, that was done by everybody in this little house here, associated with this community, accepts as their guru that translation which was done by Swami Tripurari. We put full faith in that translation and the commentaries that he wrote in regard to that. We also put full faith in the translation of his guru, who is my guru and her guru, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami. So there's two versions there that are just absolutely fine to read and study and, and take knowledge from. Thank you so much for your association. Thank you.